Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually... Um, I'm Senator Marco Rubio from Florida, and unfortunately I can't be with you today, but I want to take this opportunity to congratulate all of the activists receiving the 2017 National Endowment for Democracy's Annual Democracy Award. Fittingly, these brave individuals who have dedicated their lives to fighting corruption in their countries will receive an award in the shape of the goddess of democracy, the very same image that young Chinese students sculpted during the Tiananmen Square pro-democracy pro protest 28 years ago this month. I'd like to briefly address the awardees directly. Your courage and your drive to combat corruption, to press for transparency and accountability, and advance the cause of freedom and democracy around the world is inspiring. Your fight is not in vain. This week also marks the 35th anniversary of President Reagan's Westminster Address on Freedom and on Democracy. In his address before the British Parliament, Reagan famously said, freedom is not the sole prerogative of a lucky few, but the inalienable and universal rights of all human beings. 35 years later, those words remain as true as ever. President Reagan pledged American support for these ideals, these aspirations that transcend culture and region and religion, and a year later, Congress created NED. In almost every corner of the globe, democracy is under threat. Authoritarianism is on the rise. Human freedom under assault and restrictive NGO laws, such as the one that was just enacted by Egyptian President el-Sisi, are used to crush independent civil society. But as many governments continue to repress their citizens, denying them their God-given rights, the yearning for freedom only grows. These individuals look to our country, to America, to help champion and support their cause. This means that for those of us who believe in the merit of this work, the burden is on us to continue to make the case for why these universal values must be infused and inform our foreign policy. We must continue to explain why the support of emerging democracies is a core U.S. national interest. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Oddcast featuring me, 
your odd man out. As always, thank you once again for taking your precious time to hang out with me. It's time you will never, ever get back, so I better make this good. I want you to walk away from this podcast and every show I do with a little more information and maybe another piece to the political or geopolitical puzzle. So this week, we're going to be continuing our series on the National Endowment for Democracy. If you didn't listen to part one, this is part two, then I'll try to give you just a little bit of background so you'll know enough about Ned to enjoy the show. National Endowment for Democracy was formed in 1983 under the Ronald Reagan administration, but it was a bipartisan effort. Under this democracy program, they wanted to spread democracy all over the world. And it was under the guise of fighting communism and socialism. So what it actually was, according to former intel agents and great, great journalists back when there was real journalism, it was founded by the CIA. You know, we had Vietnam, Watergate, all these different things going on before that, and the CIA had gotten a bad rap. So they had tried to figure out some way to continue overthrowing foreign governments and getting involved in foreign elections without it coming back to bite the CIA or make them look bad. So they came up with the idea to form a non-governmental organization, tax-exempt foundation, called NED. That way they wouldn't have to adhere to the same rules, laws, and regulations as a government agency. But they could still fund it Through Congress. Yes, your taxpayer dollars are going to this non governmental organization and many, many others, like the Council on Foreign Relations, the Atlantic Council, CSIS, all these different ones. So they formed NED in 1983, and this allowed them to get involved, stay involved in foreign elections. And one thing you need to know about NED is Wherever there is a regime change, a coup, an overthrow of the government, a color revolution, as they like to call it, because they want people to think it's an organic process that happens when people, citizens, start to get tired of being mistreated by their governments. So when you find one of these situations, usually you find NED. And with NED, most of the time, you also find several other organizations, Freedom House, You Said, and the Open Society, George Soros' foundation. What do you mean, odd man? The Open Society is working with a CIA-led organization? Hell yes, that's what I'm telling you. Now, we'll talk a little bit more later on about some specifics on what Ned has done. So let's look. I found this book that I've ordered. I'm really excited about it. It was one of those books that's always like $100. I've had it in my queue. I finally find a used copy for 9 bucks. So it's called Democracy at Large, NGOs, Political Foundations, Think Tanks, and International Organizations. It's a very scholarly work. Now, a lot of times those books are very expensive. There's one little quote in there. I haven't got the book yet, but I saw this excerpt and I wanted to share it on the show. Ned 
founded in 1983 by the Hawks and the Cold Warriors of the neoconservative revolution. Ned rallied former Trotskyites, Bolsheviks of the right, and later even militants of the new anti-conformist left, born of the studies in the area of Latin America. It became one of the most important institutions in the framework of American financing and democratization programs abroad. Now, I said in the first episode, they say that they're there to foster democracy all around the world, but it seems like often they foster just the opposite, and we'll talk about that more. But a lot of times they find some already burning issues in these countries, and they exacerbate the problems. And this is textbook CIA 101. They did it all throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. They're doing it today. And you just have to understand that is their techniques. Okay, so I found another quote I just wanted to read quickly before we talk about some other stuff. As noted in Chapter 3 of those who were active and influential neoconservatives in the George W. Bush administration, and let me just say, the average conservative has no freaking idea what neoconservative is. I was blocked by the old talk master, Neil Bortz, because I said something about neoconservatives, something he didn't like. He's an asshole anyway, but I used to listen to him when I was younger. He was supposed to be a a libertarian, but he really was never a libertarian. He was very pro-war, and he was of those we don't speak of too, so maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know, but anyway, that's a whole other game. But what neoconservative basically means is, well, Bill Crystal. Bill Crystal is your perfect example of a neoconservative. Not really conservative, but has a few conservative stances, but often sides with the left. He's one of these, basically like um, a quasi-intellectual who's too cool to be a part of the grassroots conservative movement. And speaking of Crystal, his father, Irving Crystal very influential guy back in the day, was an admitted Trotskyite in his younger days. And so there's a handful of these guys, probably more than a handful, that are conservatives, known as conservatives, known as Republicans, but they're actually old-school Trotskyites and Fabian socialists in many ways. That's when you hear neocon think Bill Kristol, and the Project for a New American Century, all those people, uh, Victoria Newland, Elliot Abrams, also a part of NED, uh, these different ones, they're very pro-war. They're always about imperialism, so you might as well call them imperialists. So anyway, continuing this excerpt from this other book, Rethinking Soviet Communism, Chapter 3, Many of those who were active and influential neoconservatives on the right in the George Bush administration were earlier active members of Trotskyist groups, with one commenter referring to Trotsky's ghost lurking in the White House. Patrick Buchanan, a leading paleoconservative, referred to the neoconservative establishment in the United States as the neo-comintern comparing the neoconservatives' mission of spreading democracy with Lenin's common turn in 1919 and its goal of exporting communism. The neocons were calling, like the Trotskyist groups to which they had once belonged, 
for a type of permanent revolution, only rather than pushing aggressively to develop socialism, now we had the export of liberal democracy. Whereas the original common turn after the October Revolution was the instrument to foster a socialist revolution, the main agency for the spread of democracy for the neoconservatives was the National Endowment for Democracy. It is important to note that the Trotskyists were of course critical of Stalin, but loyal to the original Bolshevik goals. I thought that was a pretty intriguing quote there. So with all that being said, let's take a closer look at the founding members of NED and possible influences that we didn't really take notice of on the first episode. Now, most importantly, perhaps, is the man known as the leader of the organization from its inception from 1983 to last year, 2021, a man named Carl Gershom. Yeah, it was hard to believe that Gershom finally retired. Gershom's an interesting one, another former Trotskyite, okay? And I didn't expect, really, to find this connection. I didn't even think about it. But I've been saying here lately, once I got into the subject of those we don't speak of, and if you're not familiar with my series, I suggest you go check it out right now. But once I got to looking into that subject, I started noticing connections all over the place in practically every subject I studied. For instance, here with Gershom, let's look a little bit at his past. We're going to check out Covert Action Magazine. Great, great article about the NED. They call it on the inside, the NED. It's titled, If the National Endowment for Democracy, NED, is subverting democracy, why aren't some of the left media calling it out? Let's look here. NED's history should lead to it being renamed the National Endowment for Attacking Democracy, as journalist Stephen Kinzer suggests. On January 17th, Matt Kennard and Mark Curtis, writing for the website Declassified UK, disclosed that the National Endowment for Democracy, a nonprofit corporation funded by the U.S. Congress, had plowed more than £2.6 million into seven independent British media groups over the last five years. Now, that's one of the things they do. They foster all kinds of different dissent, but one of the things they do is take over the media and they put propaganda in the local media to change the people's minds. So it's kind of like what is happening to us on a national scale. Now, continuing the article, the media groups included Open Democracy, the Media Legal Defense Initiative, Thomson Reuters, and Bellingcat, which is known for promoting disinformation, lending support for regime change operations in countries such as Russia and Syria. Yes, Bellingcat is another one of these newer organizations that probably is intel-led and foments revolutions. Those supporting the work of the Jimmy Carter Center to secure fair and transparent elections, another NGO, the NET has been involved since its founding in 1983 in trying to undermine or remove governments independent of Washington, including Democratic ones in Bolivia, Ecuador, and Venezuela. Philip Aggie, who you heard on the first episode, the late CIA whistleblower, wrote in the 90s that nowadays, instead of having the CIA go around behind the scenes and trying to manipulate the process by inserting money here and giving instructions secretly and so forth, they now have a sidekick, 
which is the National Endowment for Democracy, NED. This assessment was confirmed by co-NED creator Alan Weinstein, the director of the research study that led to the creation of NED in the 80s, who remarked in 1991 to the Washington Post, A lot of what we do today was done covertly 25 years ago by the CIA. The biggest difference is that when such activities are done overtly, the blowback potential is close to zero. Openness is its own protection. We mentioned that quote in the first episode as well, I believe. A ProPublica video report put it even more bluntly. The National Endowment for Democracy was established by Congress, in effect, to take over the CIA's covert propaganda efforts. The propaganda efforts appear to have extended to the U.S. itself, where the NED has received largely favorable publicity, if its activities are covered at all. The media blackout has extended to many alternative media outlets, which failed to disclose the NED's support for foreign protest movements. This article provides an overview of NED's history and discussion of its wide reach. The NED is a vital component of the U.S. empire whose emphasis on advancing human rights and democracy helps provide a liberal veneer to imperialistic policies. Let me just stop right there. If you're more of a conservative, patriotic type of person, you may be offended when you hear imperialism. But it's just what it is. It has nothing to do with our freedom or keeping us protected when these intel agencies and their different organizations go over and overthrow other governments. We weren't supposed to get involved in other countries. Our founders didn't want us to do that because they knew that it would make us less free here and lead to despotism. And that's exactly what it's doing little by little. You can't go over and overthrow sovereign countries, no matter if you like the government or not, and expect there not to be blowback in your own country. Jonah Gindon and Kirsten Weld explained in the NACLA that the NED may at times ally with movements and individuals genuinely dedicated to democratizing their countries. However, it sets the perimeters of debate by positioning a particular definition of pro-market representative democracy as the only anti-authoritarian option, isolating those with a more radical vision. I may have mentioned that one in the first episode, can't remember, but I think that's an important one. Tellingly, it goes on to say, that in 1989, when the NED held its first World Conference of Democratic Activists, invitees were strictly disciples of free market capitalism. Now, I'll mention again, like I did on the first one, that I think when these guys a lot of times say free market capitalism, they don't understand, or they're just so against what they think free market capitalism is that they don't explain themselves well but they're actually calling what we would call protectionism or even corporatism, free market capitalism. But I'll go on. In numerous countries where the NED has operated, the suspicion bred by foreign funding has led to the advent of strict laws outlawing NGOs and dissent, marking the NED's democracy promotion efforts as being, at best, counterproductive. The NED's leadership does not seem to understand that democracy has to develop organically and that the U.S.-style democracy, with its money-saturated electoral system, and that cannot be denied no matter which side you find yourself on, I'll repeat, with its money-saturated electoral system, is deeply flawed and no model for other countries. Referencing the NED's efforts to influence elections in Mongolia, Albania, Bulgaria, 
Slovakia, and built anti-Russian movements in Ukraine, Belarus, Moldova, Georgia, Serbia, Kosovo, and Bosnia. Journalist Stephen Kinzer said that the NED should be more properly called the National Endowment for Attacking Democracy. We heard that earlier. Journalist Daniel Lazar said it should be renamed the National Endowment for Meddling in Democracy, which would also be appropriate. Goes on. Missionaries for Democracy. The concept for the NED first originated in the 60s, when the CIA began to get bad press after it was exposed to have been covertly funding private organizations and political parties in foreign nations. We heard some of this in the first one. We'll go over it again, though. Congressman Dante Fashel, Democrat, Florida, Ned co-founder, introduced a bill in April 1967 to create the Institute of International Affairs, an initiative that would authorize overt funding for what the U.S. referred to as exporting democracy, but it did not go through. Circumstances changed with the more exposure of the CIA abuses in the 70s and conservative cold warrior Ronald Reagan's election as president. On June 8, 1982, as we learned in the first one, Reagan gave a speech at the British Parliament in London announcing the creation of NED, whose purpose, Reagan said, was, quote, to foster the infrastructure of democracy, the system of a free press, unions, political parties, universities, which allows a people to choose their own way, to develop their own culture, and to reconcile their own differences through peaceful means. And that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Just like so many of these government programs and policies sound so great. At the NED's inaugural conference, Harvard professor and former National Security Councilman Samuel Huntington spoke about the new third wave of democracy. He said that the U.S. was in a strong position to try to advance it. Publicly financed, the NED carried out its activities without the secrecy that tainted the CIA's activities, as David K. Scheipler wrote in the New York Times in 1986. Keith Schuett head of the National Republican Institute for International Affairs, a NED affiliate that bankrolled the conservative political parties in foreign nations, said that we engage in almost missionary work. We've seen what the socialists do for each other. We've seen what the communists do for each other. And now we've come along and we have a broadly democratic movement, a force for democracy. The CIA-NED connection was personified by Walter Raymond Jr., a propaganda expert and former senior officer in the CIA Directorate of Operations who supervised the NED under Reagan and served as its liaison to CIA Director William Casey. John Richardson, chair of the NED's board of directors, was another old CIA hand, having been president of the CIA-sponsored Radio Free Europe from 1961 to 1968, of the International Rescue Committee and director of Freedom House, which we mentioned earlier, which publicized human rights abuses in governments hostile to the United States. Now back to Carl Gershom. I got sidetracked earlier, and I mentioned those we don't speak of, and then got, and then went on a whole tangent there. But the NED's first director, Carl Gershom, like I said, he was the first director at its creation, 
1983, retired in 2021, last year. Let's look at some of his background. He was the former chairman of the Young People's Socialist League from 70 to 74, and a Trotskyist who allied with the hawkish Henry Scoop Jackson, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, wing of the Democratic Party, after liberal progressive George S. McGovern's resounding defeat in the 72 election. In 1975, Gershom wrote a book celebrating the American Federation of Labor Congress of Industrial Organization, the AFL-CIO's History of Penetrating Foreign Labor Unions and Opposing Communism. George Meany, the AFL-CIO's president from 55 to 79, is the hero of the story dating from his emergence as an opponent of American isolationism prior to Pearl Harbor. Another hero is CIA asset Irving Brown, who purged communists from labor unions in Italy and France and directed the breaking of communist-led strikes. That's all well and good, but remember, Gershom was a communist of another kind. He was a Trotskyite. So we're not talking about a patriot here. As it continues, Gershom's neoconservatism was reflected in a 1977 pamphlet that he co-wrote with Bayard Rustin, an organizer of the 1963 March on Washington, entitled Africa-Soviet Imperialism and the Retreat of American Power. It claimed that the pro-Cuban and pro-Soviet people's movement for the liberation of Angola, or NPLA's, victory over the South African and U.S.-backed National Union for the total independence of Angola, UNITA, U-N-I-T-A, exposed the total disorientation of American liberals still reeling from Vietnam and increased Africa's vulnerability to a fate considerably worse than colonialism. Gershman wrote another pamphlet in 1977 sponsored by the Social Democrats called After the Dominoes Fell, criticizing anti-war activist Noam Chomsky and detailing the political repression gripping Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia following the communist victory in the Indochina War. Reprinted articles in the right-wing commentary magazine, Gershman quoted from a Vietnamese refugee who characterized the Vietnamese communist government as the most inhumane and oppressive and waxed nostalgia for the South Vietnamese gangster regime of Nagaya Van Thi, who Gershom praised for allowing publication of 27 daily newspapers, which the communists shut down. And just to let you know, I may not agree with the writer of this article's political philosophy, but I think this information is very important because you're not going to hear it in a conservative or liberal publication. And I'll continue. A Harvard and Yale graduate, Gershom participated in the 1965 march in Selma, Alabama, for voting rights, and was a member of the governing council of a Jewish lobbying organization affiliated with Commentary. Yeah, I thought Commentary magazine was a Jewish magazine. I'll have to look that up. In the 1980s, Gershom worked as an aide to Jean J. Kirkpatrick, who as a U.S. ambassador to the U.N. was a key sponsor of the Contra War in Nicaragua. In 1979, Kirkpatrick had written an influential article in Commentary, Dictatorships and Double Standards, which claimed that the totalitarian regimes of the left could never be reformed, while the right-wing authoritarian regimes, backed by the U.S., could be made to transition to democracy. Now, there's a few other things that this 
article doesn't have about Gershom. Let me see here. I jotted a few things down. So his hero, and he talks about this in his last speech at Ned, his farewell address, his hero was this guy, this activist, Bayard Rustin, or Rustin, who done some good things as far as I can tell, as far as civil rights go, but it was also known for calling for the U.S. to send jet fighters to bomb Arabs in 1966. He was also a gay man, by the way. Let's see here, about Bayard Rustin. In 1968, he worked in the research department of B'nai B'rith. Okay, and let's go on. As far as Rustin goes, in the Jewish Telegraph Agency, at his death, they have a headline, Rustin, longtime ties to Jewish people in Israel and his unflagging support of the labor movement and the civil rights movement earned him profound respect among Jews as well as blacks. The JNS says, that's another Jewish paper, he was an unflagging supporter of Zionism. And according to the Ned's regime change brother, Freedom House, he organized a committee of prominent black Americans to support Israel at a time when the U.S. General Assembly had passed the infamous Zionism is Racism resolution. So that tells you a little bit about Gershom's hero, Rustin. It also says here that in 1968, Gershom worked in the research department of B'nai B'rith. B'nai B'rith turned into the ADL. Now, the B'nai B'rith was actually a Masonic organization it spawned out of masonry and was a Jewish-only organization at first, and it's now the ADL. So Gershom worked for B'nai B'rith in 68, and from 69 to 71, he was the research director at the Philip Randolph Institute, where he assisted its director, Bayer Rustin. In 1972, Gershom served on the governing council of the American Jewish Committee. Gershom's Jewish, by the way. You probably figured that out. So the leader of Ned started off with an affinity for Israel, I'm sure. I mean, there's no way around it. He was obviously a Zionist working for B'nai B'rith. You're not going to work for B'nai B'rith if you're not a Zionist. We mentioned Dante Fashel, who supposedly came up with the idea for a Ned-style organization much earlier than it was actually put together. But Jewish Telegraph Agency says supporters of Israel are expressing regret over Representative Dante Fashel's announcement Wednesday that he will not run for re-election after serving 38 years in the House of Representatives. Another headline here from the JTA. December 1st, 1998, Fashel, Dante, the officers, members, and the staff of the American Jewish Committee mourn the passing of an extraordinary public servant tireless defender of human dignity and human rights, as well as Israel. So I don't know if Fashel himself was Jewish, but he was very much a friend to the Zionists. Now, the other co-founder was Alan Weinstein, who was another Jewish man. He was also a historian and wrote a famous book about the convicted communist double agent Alger Hiss. He was the son of Russian Jewish immigrants and was born in New York City in 1937. So he doesn't have the history of working with all these different Jewish organizations and Israel-based organizations like Gershom. But he served on the editorial staff of the Washington Post and the Washington Quarterly. In 81, he moved to Georgetown University, where all the big shots go if they don't go to the Chicago University. 
He was a professor there until 84. In 82, he was a member of the delegation to UNESCO's World Conference on Cultural Policies, the globalist New World Order quasi-New Age organization UNESCO, formed by Julian Huxley, the eugenicist. And in 1983, he served on the U.S. delegation to UNESCO's sponsored International Program for the Development of Communication. He was a founding officer of the Strasbourg-based International Institute for Democracy. And I'd like to look into that. I wonder, that sounds like another organization like NED, basically. And that was from 1989 to 2001. He chaired the judging panel for the annual International IMPAC Dublin Literary Award from 95 to 2003. He also served on the advisory council of the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas, Austin. He was the chairman of the Woodrow Wilson Presidential Library's Advisor Council. He chaired the annual Global Panel in the Netherlands from 1993 to 1998. And from 82 to 1991, he was a member of the Foreign Policy Association's Editorial Advisory Board. He also served as the archivist of the United States from February 16, 2005 until his resignation in 2008. He died in 2015 of pneumonia. Now, it's strange you see this, those we don't speak of, connection here, and we'll continue a little bit more with some of Gershom's background, but it's just, it's really interesting to me because I'm finding this to be a trend. We mentioned Elliot Abrams, those we don't speak of, Victoria Newland, those we don't speak of, and in 2013, I see here the National Endowment for Democracy. This is from the JewishJournal.com, named Martin Frost, a pioneering Jewish reformer and congressman, as its new chairman. That's different than director. But let's go back to a little bit more information about NED. Spending about $30 million per year, the NED financed democratic media, NGOs, and a writing by pro-Western dissidents. Now, that's to be debated. I don't know if they were necessarily pro-Western dissidents. These are the kinds of things I disagree with some of these authors on. I think that their worldview is a little small. And this is what I mean, kind of like I was talking about earlier. Pro-Western dissidents, that doesn't necessarily mean pro-Western as pro-U.S. citizens, pro Pick your Western country citizens. We have different ideas. I don't believe that the Republican Party has my values. The conservative party does not have my values. For the most part, they're shysters. And the same with the Libertarian Party. Maybe not as many shysters, but I disagree with them on quite a few things. And I also think that they are leaving out a lot that they should be going after. Now, I'll continue with this. I just wanted to make that clear that I don't think when they say pro-Western dissidents, he means pro-Western elites, or at least that's the way I take it. It provided grants to the AFL-CIO. Now, one thing you got to know about the AFL-CIO, and people that love their unions will not want to hear this, but the AFL-CIO has been connected to the CIA before Ned was even around. I'll repeat. It provided grants to the AFL-CIO, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and to the Democratic and Republican National Institutes, which supported like-minded political parties in foreign nations. 
Now, if you listen to the first episode, you realize that there are four different organizations that work directly under NED and were created at the exact same time as NED. And we'll talk about them a little bit more in a minute. But one thing I want to say about the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, I look into a lot of these NGOs, a lot of these that were spawned out of the Council on Foreign Relations and different ones, and I see repeatedly the U.S. Chamber of Commerce as funders of some of these NGOs. So I just wanted to put that out there. We'll continue. A secret arm of the NED headed by Oliver North used $4.5 million in assets to help the Nicaraguan Contras, the right-wing paramilitaries intent on sabotaging the socialist Sandinistas government that came to power in a 1979 revolution and then won 1984 elections. So you think Iran-Contra there, which, again, the U.S. had no business working in that country to overthrow their government or support either government, and it didn't help any of us. And by the way, look into Gary Webb, and kill the messenger because I believe that they use cocaine money to help support their efforts there. In another early project, the NED provided $180,845 to conduct literacy courses for rebel fighters in Afghanistan, Islamic fundamentalists, enabling them to publish textbooks with unflattering accounts of the Soviets and supported the Afghanistan Relief Committee, which published an English-language bulletin intended for Western reporters. NED additionally financed the right-wing New National Party in Granada, which won 1984 elections monitored by the NED that followed the Operation Urgent Fury that ousted the New Jewel movement. The New York Times reported that the NED in the 1980s was active in helping the anti-communist Solidarity Labor Union print underground newspapers in Poland and buying materials for the anti-Sandinista newspapers in Nicaragua like La Presna and bolstering the non-communist opposition to a U.S.-imposed military dictatorship in South Korea. Now, I know that you hear fighting communists and you think that's good, but again... None of our business, and also, it's not like they are patriots and conservatives or libertarians in the sense that we think of it. These guys are Trotskyites, and they are all about funding the empire. And we learned on the first episode that mainly what Ned does is open up these other countries by fostering regime change so that these Western monopolies and lenders can go in there and take over their country. So it's really, and it's also about, you know, the uh, AFL-CIO style of labor unions, getting those in these countries as well. So it goes on to mention a bunch of the different things that they did in the 80s and early 90s. And it says here in 1991 in the Washington Post, David Ignatius partially attributed the defeat of a hardline anti-Boris Yeltsin coup that spelled the end of the Communist Party's 74-year rule in Russia to a new weapon in the U.S. foreign policy arsenal. Ignatius wrote, The old era of covert action is dead. Preparing the ground for last month's triumph of overt action was a network of overt operatives who, during the last 10 years, have quietly been changing the rules of international politics. They have been doing in public what the CIA used to do in private. 
providing money and moral support for pro-democracy groups, training resistance fighters, working to subvert communist rule, and in contrast to many of the CIA's superannuated cold warriors who tended to get tangled in their webs of secrecy, these overt operatives have been immensely successful. And I'll just remind you that what happened, the Soviet Union was found to be in bad shape for quite a few years before the public over here in the U.S. actually found out. So our government was using that as a threat long after they knew it wasn't a threat to scare us and to justify doing all kinds of things, implementing policies, and spending tons and tons of money. Now, between 1984 and 1990, the NED provided $40 million with the goal of bringing down the evil Soviet empire. Hardline anti-communists in the national security establishment, such as Zbigniew Brzezinski and Richard Pipes, who were both of the Polish background, worked with Gershom in this period to identify dissidents in the Soviet Union's constituent republics who could help destabilize the Soviet regime and finance anti-communist Soviet emigres agitating for regime change along with the model of Polish anti-communist resistance. The Soviet newspaper Pravda described the NED, not inaccurately, as a CIA front engaged in psycho-political warfare. It financed national minority groups from Ukraine, Lithuania, Estonia, and Crimea, who were partnering with intelligence services to foment subversive activities. Richard Pipes, according to Pravda, was a malicious falsifier whose view of the Soviet Union as an expansionist was based on pathological hatred. Another Soviet publication referred to Ned's recipients, like the journal Glasnost, as, quote, CIA pawns tasked with inflaming nationalist conflicts in hotspots like Crimea, Georgia, and Latvia, which indeed they had done. Massachusetts Congressman Barney Frank, I don't know if you guys remember Barney Frank, but uh, he was a real character there, got caught... I think he had some uh, call boys, some very young call boys coming to his house or apartment while he was serving the United States. But Congressman Barney Frank tried to halt the funding for NED in the 80s, stating that to say we're not going to fund public transportation or research on cancer because we've got to give money to a French union for political purposes just doesn't seem to make sense. And I agree with that. Congressman Hank Brown, a Republican, Colorado, said that the French disclosures about funding of extreme right-wing parties required Americans to ask how they would feel if they learned that the French government was giving millions of dollars to the AFL-CIO to oppose the policies of Ronald Reagan. Paul Kenjortsky, Democrat, accused the NED of unaccountable and anti-democratic behavior in its foreign programs and at home, noting that a NED grantee, the Polish-American Congress, organized opposition against him in his heavily Polish-American district. So they are doing things in the United States. When the House voted unexpectedly to defund the NED in 1993, Republicans John McCain, of course, Richard Luger and Orrin Hatch and Democrats Paul Wellstone, John Kerry, of course, Walter Mondale, Tom Harkin, Ted Kennedy, and Carol Mosley Braun rallied to save it. Imagine that. 
I'm telling you guys, the more I look into history and hidden history, the more I realize these leftists and progressives, allegedly, alleged liberals, at the top are behind so many of these foreign entanglements and wars. In 2003, Ron Paul from Texas wrote an op-ed stating that the misnamed National Endowment for Democracy is nothing more than a costly program that takes U.S. taxpayer funds to promote favored politicians and political parties abroad. What NED does in foreign countries through its recipient organizations like the National Democratic Institute, which Walter Mondale belonged to, and the International Republican Institute would be rightly illegal in the United States. Paul goes on to say that NED injects soft money into the domestic elections of foreign countries in favor of one party or the other. Imagine what a couple of hundred thousand dollars will do to assist a politician or political party in a relatively poor country abroad. It is particularly Orwellian to call U.S. manipulation of foreign elections promoting democracy. How would Americans feel if the Chinese arrived with millions of dollars to support certain candidates deemed friendly to China? Would this be viewed as democratic development? Many Democrats, here we go again, many Democrats disagreed with Paul. In 2018, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and Representatives Stephanie Murphy, Florida, Julian Castro, Texas, attended a NED ceremony on North Korea that was designed to block President Donald Trump's efforts to normalize relations with it. When Trump threatened to slash the NED's budget by 60%, Washington Post columnist Josh Rogan moaned that the administration was guilty of an assault on democracy promotion. I think we mentioned that in the first one. While Uberhawk Senator Lindsey Graham pronounced Trump's cut dead on arrival. Well, he works for the International Republican Institute, which is one of NED's four organizations. He stated that this budget destroys soft power. It puts our diplomats at risk, and it's going nowhere, which is where it went, of course. How in the hell does Lindsey Graham continue to get elected? And I kind of like South Carolina. The who's who of Hawks goes on to say, The list of NED's past board members reads like a who's who of neoconservatives, Russophobes, regime change specialists, and war hawks who constitute what Obama speechwriter Ben Rhodes famously called the blob or foreign policy establishment. Let's look at these awesome people. Henry Kissinger, Victoria Newland, Zbigniew Brzezinski, Frank Carlucci, Reagan's defense secretary, Madeleine Albright, who was the head of the National Democratic Institute until she died, one of Ned's other organizations. Alina Rose Leitinen from Florida. William Burns, CIA director. General Wesley Clark. Norm Coleman. Sally Shelton Colby, late wife of CIA director William Colby. Paula Dobransky, who actually serves still with Ned. Francis Fukuyama, Richard Holbrook, Fred Eichel, member of the Project for a New American Century, Winston Lord, Kissinger Associate and President of the Council on Foreign Relations from 77 to 1985, Anne-Marie Slaughter, and Paul Wolfowitz. There's plenty more than that, though. Victoria Newland here is pictured with Anne Applebaum, 
part of the star-studded NED panel defending democracy in Poland, which is currently run by a Russophobic right-wing government championed by the U.S. that underplays Poland's role in the Holocaust. Applebaum is married to a former Polish prime minister. It says here, Love me, I'm a liberal. The NED's most prestigious fellowship is named after Dante Fashel, who was instrumental in founding the NED and served on its initial board of directors. We mentioned him a couple of times. A Democrat representing Dade County, Florida, from 55 to 1993, Fashel steered NED grants to the anti-Castro Cuban-American National Foundation, whose founder, Jorge Mas Canosa, a wealthy Miami businessman, funded Fashel's political campaigns. After Fashel's retirement from Congress, he became a partner in the notorious Black Manafort Stone and Kelly lobbying firm and continued to lobby his former colleagues to repeal the Clark Amendment. Penn Kimball is another Ned Luminary, and he has a prestigious forum on democracy named after him with lineage in the anti-communist left. Alex Garber, a professor of sociology who was an anti-communist social democrat, Kimball was a national secretary of the Socialist Party in 68 and a founding member of Social Democrats USA. In the late 60s, he founded Negotiation Now, a group which called for an end to bombing of North Vietnam and negotiated settlement of the Vietnam War, but opposed a unilateral withdrawal of U.S. troops from South Vietnam. He also founded the Coalition for a Democratic Majority. After working for neoconservative Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, Kimball became president of the Committee for Democracy in Central America, or Pro-Demca. There's plenty more, but I'm not going to go into all of it. So just looking at some of the members of NED and the organizations, the four organizations that NED controls, I think I mentioned in the first show that this new Republican that's getting a lot of attention, Elise Stefanik, is a board member of the National Endowment for Democracy, as well as a WEF member and Young Global Leader. Now, not so oddly enough, she also finds herself on the House Republican Israel Committee. So another those we don't speak of connection there. Also, the International Republican Institute members, Dan Sullivan, Randy Schooneman, who's vice chair, and Mark Kirk, have very close ties to Israel, and I've read several articles from Israeli websites praising them. Ambassador and board member Kristen Silverberg is also close to Israel, and she is a Trilateral Commission member. Now, it would take too long to go through every member of these organizations and find out all their connections, but it's something you can do a little bit at a time because it seems like it's a never-ending process. One leads to another, to another, to another, and then you find all these connections, whether it be NGOs or former business positions or former government positions. It just seems to go on and on, but sometimes it pays to go down these rabbit holes Because it can really show you how, at the top, it does seem to be one big party or a section of these really important groups. And so you have these pockets of very powerful people who just continue to work together, even if they don't agree on everything. They work together towards similar goals so they can keep their power, influence, status, wealth, etc. Now, over at the 
swprs.org. It's the Swiss Policy Research Institute. They did a great dive a few years ago on the CFR. So I'm interested to look at this here. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but they do a dive on NED that's pretty detailed. It even has a table of contents. They talk about the four main NED partner organizations. They say here that they have 300 plus organizations they fund in Africa, 200 in Latin America, 100 plus in East and South Asia, 150 plus in Middle East and Central Asia, 200 plus in the Eastern Europe and the Balkans area, 50 plus in the United States and Western Europe. It says NGOs in U.S. and Western Europe mostly have an international focus, about 50 NGOs and some universities. Bellingcat is on there. We know that is a CIA-ran organization. Global Campaign for Free Expression in the U.K. I'm just going to look at some of these that sound interesting. Cartoonists' Rights Network International, Center for European Policy Analysis, Chatham House, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Now, that makes sense because they're the sister organization to the Council on Foreign Relations. They work with the London School of Economics. They work with the Open Societies. I believe that Soros even has some different programs at Chatham House in his name. Freedom House is another one that we've mentioned before that works with NED, and we will talk about them in more depth at a later date. International Center for Journalists, Inc., Institute for War and Peace Reporting. Let's see here. Robert F. Kennedy, Center for Justice and Human Rights. The Atlantic Council, which is NATO's think tank. World Affairs Institute, which is a spinoff of the Council on Foreign Relations. And the universities, American University, Washington, Georgetown, of course. New York University, University of Ulster in Northern Ireland. So in the Eastern Europe, Balkans, and the Caucasus. Let's see here. Focus, Ukraine, Moldova, former Yugoslavia, Georgia, and Armenia. Anti-Crisis Media Center, Anti-Corruption Action Center, ANTAC, which I believe is connected to Soros as well, but we'll look into that. I've read about them, and I know there's some shady stuff going on with ANTAC. The Association of Ukrainian Law Enforcement Monitors, the Association of Ukrainian Civic Initiatives, Auto Madon, that's also Ukraine. Azov Development, the Azov Battalion? Hmm, I don't know. Maybe there's a connection there. The Center for Research on the Donbass Social Perspectives. Center for Social Economic Research, Ukraine. Center for Ukrainian Reform Education. Cherkasy Committee of Voters of Ukraine. I mean, it's crazy how much stuff they got going on in that area. Civic Organization of Kharkiv Anti-Corruption Center. Crimean Community Radio. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff for Ukraine and in that area of the world. So I think people should just check this website out. And I'll put it, of course, in the show notes. Uh, There's the Donetsk Institute of Information, the East Ukrainian Patriotic Association, Internews Ukraine, Kharkiv Crisis Info Center, Kharkiv Anti-Corruption Center, Kharkiv Human Rights Protection Group. It goes on and on. Kiev School of Economics, Local Democracy Agency. Uh, Let's see. All Ukrainian Network of the PLWH. NGO Community Center, New Generation. 
these are all in the Ukrainian area. And they just keep going on and on and on. We won't look into the others right now because there's just so many. But I just wanted to give you an idea of how they go in and they fund all these NGOs. And a lot of these NGOs are fostering dissent among these countries, again, so they can overthrow the government or so they can control the minds of the people that live there in case they need to overthrow the government at a later date. Now, here I found an article on Ned that I thought was great. It's from the AmericanConservative.com, and this is a different type of conservative outlet. It's a deeper thinking source if you guys ever want to check it out. Of course, I don't always agree with them, but I think that they do a much better job than, say, Breitbart or MRC or many of these other cookie-cutter conservative organizations and news outlets that I think are really there to kind of direct your attention away from what's really important. And the American conservative has been around for a long time. It says, the National Endowment for Meddling in Democracy. This quasi-government group follows one rule. The U.S. has an unqualified right to do unto others what others may not do unto the U.S. This is from Daniel Lazar, March 8, 2018. They're meddling in our politics. That's the war cry of outraged Clintonites and neocons who seem to think election interference is something that Russians do to us, but we never do unto them. But meddling in other countries has been a favorite Washington pastime ever since William McKinley vowed to Christianize the Philippines in 1899, despite the fact that most Filipinos were already Catholic. Today, an alphabet soup of U.S. agencies engage in political interference virtually around the clock. Everyone from USAID to VOA to RFE slash RL to the DHS, respectively the U.S. Agency for International Development, the Voice of America, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, and the Department of Homeland Security. He goes on to say that the Department of Homeland Security maintains some 2,000 U.S. employees in 70 countries to ensure that no one even thinks of doing anything bad to anyone over here. The National Endowment for Democracy is a $180 million a year funded outfit that is a byword for American intrusiveness. And what we learned a few minutes ago is that it's actually a $300 million a year outfit coming from tax dollars. But this was written a little bit before that. The net is an example of what might be called specism. The tendency to go on about the speck in your neighbor's eye without ever considering the plank in your own eye. See Matthew 7 for details. Prohibited by laws from interfering in domestic politics, the endowment devotes endless energy to the democratic shortcomings of other countries, especially when they threaten American interests. In 1984, the year after it was founded, it channeled secret funds to a military-backed presidential candidate in Panama, gave 575000 to a right-wing French student group and delivered nearly half a million dollars to right-wing opponents of Costa Rican president Oscar Arias because Arias had refused to go along with our anti-communist policy in Central America. Let me just say that communism was a threat, but our leadership used communism to do all kinds of terrible things to us and used it as an excuse to get away with all these different shady policies 
And they had to make us think, they had to condition us to believe that these little countries halfway across the world sometimes, because they have a communist system, are a threat to us. So if they could go in and do what I'm telling you that the National Endowment for Democracy does, which is get the global elite, the global financiers, inside these countries. So it really has nothing to do with us whatsoever. We need to understand the bigger picture. Continuing, a year later, it gave 400000 to the anti-Sandinista opposition in Nicaragua, and then another $2 million in 1988. It used financial muscle in the mid-1990s to persuade a right-wing party to draw up a contract with Slovakia modeled on Newt Gingrich's contract with America. Persuaded free marketeers to do the same in Mongolia. Gave nearly one million to Venezuelan rightists who went on to mount a short-lived push against populist leader Hugo Chavez in 2002 and then funded anti-Russian president candidate Viktor Yushchenko in Ukraine in 2005 and later the anti-Russian coup there in 2014, which we know a lot about on this show. What all this had to do with democracy is unclear, although the Ned's role in advancing U.S. imperial interests is beyond doubt. Rather than my country right or wrong, its operating assumption is my country right full stop. If Washington says leader X is out of line, then the endowment will snap to attention and fund its opponents. If it says he's cooperative and well-behaved, meaning he supports free markets and financial deregulation, and doesn't dally with any of America's military rivals, it will do the opposite. It doesn't matter if, like Putin, the alleged dictator swept the last election with 63.6% of the vote and was declared the clear winner by the European Union and the U.S. State Department. If he's expanding Russia's influence in the Middle East, as Ned's President Carl Gershman puts it, then he's a strong man and an autocrat and must go. America's own shortcomings, meanwhile, go unnoticed. Meanwhile, the Ned, as it nears the quarter-century mark, is a bundle of contradictions, a group that claims to be private even though it's almost entirely publicly funded, a group that says democracy must be indigenous even though it backs U.S.-imposed regime change, a group that claims to be bipartisan but whose board is packed with ideologically homogenous hawks like Elliot Abrams and Applebaum and Victoria Newland, the latter of whom served as Assistant Secretary of State during the coup in Ukraine. Oh, Vicki Newland. Historically speaking, the Ned feels straight out of the early 1980s, when Washington was struggling to overcome Vietnam Syndrome in order to rev up the Cold War. The recovery process began with Ronald Reagan declaring at his first inaugural, quote, The crisis that we are facing today requires our best effort and our willingness to believe in ourselves and to believe in our capacity to perform great deeds, to believe that together, with God's help, we can and will resolve the problems which now confront us. After all, why shouldn't we believe that? We are Americans, unquote. The U.S. was apparently not just a nation, but something like a religion as well. Additional input for the new Ned in 1983 came from spymaster William Casey, CIA director from 81 to 87, who, after the intelligence scandals of the 70s, had swung around to view that certain covert operations were better spun off into what the British call a quango, or a quasi-non-government organization. Obviously, we here should not get out in front of the development of such an organization, he cautioned, nor do we wish to appear to be a sponsor or advocate. 
It was a case of covert backing for an overt turn. Others helped lay the groundwork here for Ned. Neoconservative ideologue Jean Kirkpatrick, Reagan's ambassador to the UN, famous for her argument that the traditional authoritarian governments should be supported against revolutionary autocracies because they are less repressive, and whose UN aide, Carl Gershman, would become Ned president and served until 2021. People who also played a part, human rights Democrats, who believe that America's job is to enforce democratic standards throughout the world, however idiosyncratic and self-serving they may be. Also, old-fashioned pluralists who maintain that the power to succeed existed in different groups working separately toward a common goal, in this case, spreading democracy abroad. The result was an ideologically lethal package that assumed whatever Americans did was democratic because God is on our side, and that old-fashioned CIA skullduggery was passé, and that the time had come to switch to more open means. We should not have to do this kind of work covertly, Gershman later explained. He said, we saw that in the 60s, and that's why it has been discontinued. We have not had the capability of doing this, and that's why the endowment was created. In the interest of pluralism, the NED adopted a quadripartite structure with separate wings for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the AFL-CIO, the GOP, and the Democrats, each working separately, yet somehow together. Pluralism helped tamp down debate and also shore up support on Capitol Hill. Liberal Democrats were initially skeptical due to the NED's neocon tilt. Michigan Congressman John Conyers Jr. tried to kill it in 85, and The Nation magazine complained a few years later that the coup served as little more than a pork barrel for a small circle of Republican and Democratic Party activists who used the endowment money to run their own mini-state department. I think that's a pretty good explanation of Ned. But when the House voted unexpectedly to defund the agency in 1993, beneficiaries sprang to its defense. Now, we read about this in the other article earlier. Major League pundits like George Will, David Broder, and Abe Rosenthal went into overdrive, according to The Nation, as did heavy hitters of the Washington Post editorial page. Vice President Walter Mondale, a member of NED's board of directors, worked the phones along with Lane Kirkland, George Meany's successor as the head of the AFL-CIO. Ronald Reagan even wrote a letter while Senator Richard Luger, Orrin Hatch, and John McCain pitched in as well. So did prominent liberals like Paul Wellstone, John Kerry, Tom Harkin, Ted Kennedy, and Carol Mosley Braun. These people normally couldn't bear to be in the same room with one another but they were of one mind when it came to America's divine right to intervene in other nations' affairs. The anti-NED forces didn't stand a chance. Twenty-five years later, the endowment is again under attack. Keep in mind this is 2018, although this time from the right. Gershman started the ball rolling in October 2016 when he interrupted his busy pro-democracy schedule to dash off a column in the Washington Post accusing Russia of using email hackers, information trolls, and open funding of political parties to sow discord, and of even intervening in the U.S. presidential election. Since there was no question whom Russia was intervening for, there was no doubt what the article amounted to, a thinly veiled swipe at a certain orange-haired candidate. I think he has orange skin, not orange hair. 
Never one to forget a slight, Trump got his revenge last month by proposing to slash the Ned's budget by 60%. Obviously, we know that didn't happen, and they actually got $120 million more dollars. The response was the same as in 1993, only more so. Uberhawk Senator Lindsey Graham, as we mentioned earlier, pronounced the cut was dead on arrival, adding, This budget destroys soft power. It puts our diplomats at risk, and it's going nowhere. Of course, Lindsey Graham is on the board of the International Republican Institute, one of Ned's four organizations, and McCain was the head of that until he died. Gershman said it would mean sending a signal far and wide that the United States is turning its back on supporting brave people who share our values. While Washington Post columnist Josh Rogan moaned that the administration was guilty of an assault on democracy promotion, the ever-voluble Democratic Congressman Nita Lowy accused the administration of dismantling an agency that advances critical goals. And that was the end of this article, but I thought it was good to get another source on the NED. Before we have one final presentation, uh, Minority Leader Pelosi, former Speaker of the House of Representatives, has joined us. She's a wonderful friend of the NED and a great friend of democracy all over the world, especially in China. She's a great supporter of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Uh, and it's a great honor for me to introduce my dear friend, Nancy Pelosi. Thank you very much, Carl. I'm here to say thank you to Ned, honoring liberty and democracy in the world. Now, I'm very fond of this award because it has another example of people using their democracy to promote democracy elsewhere, and that's the goddess uh, of, uh, of uh, freedom that was in uh, Tiananmen Square at the time. It's such a remarkable symbol to the world, re-honoring the vows of our founders uh, of our country and the courage they had. Carl Gershman is just a saint. <laughs> I, did I tell you that he is a saint? I, we worship him because he keeps the standard for democracy so high, and he never misses any act of courage in the world to recognize it, to support it, and Burma has been a very special priority for him and for the chairman, uh, Dick Gebhardt. Thank you, Carl Gershman. Well, welcome, uh, and how wonderfully exciting it is, as everyone just expressed, to have Senator McCain with us on this very, very important occasion. We called him a hero of truth a hero of truth. I don't think that there are two people in the world today who, to whom that title applies more appropriately than <coughs> Senator John McCain and Vladimir Karamurza, two people who are really at the forefront of defending the idea of freedom in the world today. And it's just a tremendous honor, a tremendous honor to have both of them with us today. So it's with great pride and honor that I invite Senator John McCain to come up here and to say some words to us. That was Carl Gershman, former longtime leader of NED, saying some kind words about John McCain, and McCain being the preeminent warmonger, and Gershman makes him out to be this wonderful hero for democracy. And this guy, McCain, was in bed with Soros, 
Soros Open Society still gives to McCain's Institute, as well as the Saudis. This guy was playing both sides of the field. He was a globalist, not the war hero that people make him out to be. He was an opportunist, if there ever was one, always ready for the next war. And of course, Lindsey Graham was proud to take his place in the International Republican Institute, which is an offshoot of NED. Well, my friends, that is the end of Democracy is Their Business, and Business is Good, Part 2. And we may do a third episode because I keep finding more and more information on this outfit and connected NGOs. Now, I think that these two episodes I've done on National Endowment for Democracy, or the NED, as they call it, inside, are very important because they represent the public-private partnerships at almost every turn that I see with our government and big business. And what our government has been doing really all along with the military-industrial complex, which consists of much more than weapons makers and security agencies and different things like that. It's a huge, huge business. It makes our economy go round in many ways. And I think that if you think about it, we saw our President Biden and his administration Nearly every one of these guys came out of the Council on Foreign Relations, Atlantic Council, Aspen Institute, uh, several others, and you see what happened with Afghanistan. And I think that they got the idea, okay, we've run this Afghanistan thing into the ground. We can't really get that much more money and funding out of it. So let's leave all these weapons here and this equipment, and we'll have to fight these radicals again some other day. But we'll make up for that lack of money coming into the military-industrial complex and all of its friends by supporting a new war. Not a war that we're going to fight directly, exactly, because that always gets a lot of pushback and critique. But let's support something else that's on the horizon, and that is the war in Ukraine against Russia. And You think about all the money that we've given Ukraine Half that money or more, nobody even knows where it went. I don't think that the Ukrainian officials even know where all that money went. Then you have all the other countries sending money and equipment, weapons into Ukraine. So you have a whole new theater. And we've heard from NATO chiefs and other people that this war is going to last a long, long time. And Ned has been on the ground in Ukraine for many years, as well as the Open Society, the International Renaissance Foundation funding multiple, multiple NGOs in Ukraine. So, so I just think that these episodes about NED really represent the bigger picture and how our government is working with these NGOs. Many of these NGOs are government-funded, but also funded by large corporations, big business. So I think we need to understand that it's all a game, guys. It's all a big racket, and the NED represents that racket very well. And you see also that it's nonpartisan. It's the Democrats. It's the Republicans. It's the public sector and the private sector all coming together under the National Endowment for Democracy. And we'll be talking about another offshoot of the National Endowment for Democracy that has a huge influence on media worldwide. So stay tuned for that very soon. And I appreciate all your support. And thank you for taking the time to listen Please pass on this show. Word of mouth is great. Sharing the show is great. Give me some good reviews on whatever you listen to this on, whatever platform. I want to thank 
my patrons right off the bat. And if you want to become a supporter of the show, just go to patreon.com forward slash the odd man out. I've got three tiers on there that you can check out, see if something works for you. I want to thank Ashley. I want to thank the crazy bread man who is a covert co-conspirator. I want to thank Aaron. I want to thank Ruckus from the Daily Ruckus on Alternate Current Radio, who is a producer of the show. Thank you so much, Ruckus. Check out the Daily Ruckus. Check out also a show that Ruckus co-hosts with Joseph Arthur on TNT Radio. That is the Joseph Arthur's Technicolor Dreamcast, and it's a fantastic show. Joseph's great as well. I want to thank No Evil Shall Fear. I want to thank Repsod. I want to thank Jay. I want to thank Chris. I want to thank Mark from Housatonic. Please check out his YouTube channel. Thank you, James. Thank you, Bill, who is also a producer of the show. Thank you so much for your support, Bill. Thank you, Peterson. Thank you to the Mighty Rooster. Thank you to John Brisson. Please check out We've Read the Documents on Odyssey. And I'm going to put John's links in my show. He's been a great friend to me, and he shared my show on his YouTube before they took it down, and as well as Odyssey. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Kilowatt, very much. Thank you, Sir Tim of the Tunnels. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, David. And thank you, Jack Allen from Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. Please check out Jack's podcast and his YouTube as well. And last but not least, I want to thank Alternate Current Radio for carrying my show. And you can find my show and many others, as well as the Daily Ruckus and the Boiler Room on alternatecurrentradio.com. And you can also find my show on FringeRadioNetwork.com as well. All right, guys. Merry Christmas. Cheers and blessings. And remember, their order is not our order. See you guys. You get up on your little 21-inch screen and howl about America and democracy. There is no America. There is no democracy. There is only IBM and ITT and AT&T and DuPont, Dow, Union Carbide, and Exxon. Those are the nations of the world today. What do you think the Russians talk about in their councils of state? Karl Marx? They get out their linear programming charts. Statistical decision theories, minimax solutions, and compute the price cost probabilities of their transactions and investments, just like we do. We no longer live in a world of nations and ideologies, Mr. Beale. The world is a college of corporations, inexorably determined by the immutable bylaws of business. The world is a business, Mr. Beale. It has been since man crawled out of the slime.